Again, thank you so much for being here and worshiping with us this morning. We are continuing in our series in thanks and giving. Uh, And this morning's title is My Responsibility to the Lord. And so I want to present, uh, really the introduction is going to be rather lengthy, and I think that's a little bit common for me, but uh, my introduction is going to be lengthy, and then I've got a couple short points, uh, but I want to I present three uh, views of life, if you will. The first is this, it's that of an endless circle, spiraling back through the same things over and over and over again. Typically, we uh, hear about that, we see that in Eastern religion, with death and rebirth. There's a, a regeneration there, um, and also a little bit in the New Age movement that is becoming more and more popular. Um, but it really eliminates any meaning of purpose uh, from your life. Uh, John Marsh says this, if such a view is true, responsibility and decision uh, disappear, and with them any real significance to historical life which is in fact, or which in fact becomes a rather grandiose natural cycle. So we see this uh, circle, this endless circle. The next point of view is this, uh, that of atheistic naturalism. This view sees history as linear and non-repetitive, but like the cyclical view, the naturalistic view assigns no meaning to history. History may be proceeding in a straight line instead of going in circles, but it is not leading anywhere. It has no ultimate goal or purpose. Uh, Bertrand Russell said this, there is no law of cosmic progress. Um, And so Richard Dawkins makes this statement, evolution has no long-term goal. There is no long-distance target, no final perfection to serve as a criterion for selection, although human vanity cherishes the absurd notion that our species is the final goal of evolution. The final view is this. It's that of a Christian view, which is a great contrast to the views that we just looked at, and it's also a contrast to what we will see in Scripture this morning as we dive in in just a few moments. The Bible reveals history to be the outworking of the purposeful plan of the sovereign creator God. Job says it this way in chapter 42 and verse 2. I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Isaiah 43, 13. Yea, before the day was, I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. See, all of history continues as God has planned and ultimately as believers, we are waiting for For, as we'll look at here this morning, the day of the Lord, the event that will mark the end of man's day as God acts in judgment to take back control. This morning we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to start in chapter 4 and then we'll go through chapter 5. If you have your Bible or an app or whatever you read, um, much of this will be on scripture or on the screens. Um, Some of it will not. We're just going to kind of slide through some of these things. So I would encourage you, uh, if you have a Bible, to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But as we look at this, we're going to touch on this idea of the day of the Lord, the event or the, the, that will mark the, the end of man's day as God as, or acts in judgment to take back control. Uh, In chapter 4, we see there was questions being asked, and Paul comes in, and Paul begins to state uh, and comfort um, the believer uh, in his second coming of Christ. And so, in chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, Paul speaks of, of the hope that we have that as Jesus died and rose again... Even so, those who sleep shall rise. And so those that are are dead will rise with him. Those that know him will rise with him. If we continue on to verse number 16, for the Lord shall descend with the shout, a voice of the archangel, with the trump for the dead in Christ shall rise. Verse 17 says, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Uh, Again, there's a comfort um, within this that Paul was teaching. Uh, Paul left uh, maybe some questions unanswered because there's questions that we all have that are unanswered in this regard. 
But he's really just speaking and he is teaching the, the church here, the church in Thessalonica. Uh, he's giving them some practical things, uh, speaking of the Lord's return. And then in chapter number five, he'll begin to speak of some of these comparing and contrasting. I don't know where you're at today, uh, but there's a lot of questions going on. This morning is not a, a sermon that's, that's an end times type of a prof, prophetic type of a thought, but as I was going into the, the, the passage that I was going to touch on this morning, I couldn't help but go backwards, and then going backwards, uh, it led me into chapter 5, chapter 4, um, which looks at the, the second coming of Christ. But there's a lot of questions that are being asked today, a lot that were being asked and have been asked for a really long time. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples asked a question. It says this in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 6, When they, therefore, were come together, they being the disciples, they asked of him, saying, Lord, they asked the Lord, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Jesus responded, and he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. And so if you would follow along with me this morning, we're going to fly through chapter number 5, get to the, um, uh, I guess towards the end of chapter number 5 where my, my main points are this morning. But I genuinely believe that if we understand, if we can grasp to the, uh, in just a few minutes, some of what we're looking at in the end of chapter number four, the beginning of chapter number five, I believe that the, the verses 16, 17, and 18, which we'll spend time in this morning, will be a little more clear as to why we can rejoice, why we would pray without ceasing, and why that we have, there's every reason that we ought to give thanks in all things, regardless of what's going on, because we can see the hope that we have in the future. And so as we look at that this morning, uh, we're going to look at these uh, first few verses in chapter number five, and it speaks of this, and it says, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. And so Paul is writing, and he's, he's reminding them in, in essence, he is telling them, hey, you already know some of these things. You know that the Lord is going to return. You know that he's going to come as a thief in the night. I don't, need to re I don't need to give you all of those details again. I've taught those things. You know those things. But he, he, he lets them know and he gives them that, that it, he's going to come as a thief in the night. But then he gives the contrast, for when they shall say, they being those that don't know Christ, outside of the church, people that just don't know the Lord, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, believers, Christians, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. And he, he's letting them know, he's reminding them of the day of the Lord, but he's also reminding them and, and sharing with them, hey, you already know these things. And again, the comparing and the contrasting. I could not stop reading this passage of scripture this week. I don't know how many times I read verse number three over and over and over because of this. Maybe I am just wacko and I'm losing my mind, but there's a word in here that we are told over and over and over. 2020 has been the year of, we are going to keep you safe. Have you heard more in your life on the news or anything from anybody in any form of power that they are going to keep you safe than you have in the last nine months of your life? Over and over and over. We're going to do this to keep you safe. We're going, to be, we're going to do this to keep you safe. We're going to wear this to keep you safe. We're going to do these things to keep you safe. And everything is going to keep you safe. And everything's going to keep you safe. And everything's going to keep you safe. And everything's going to keep you safe. If you were around nine months ago, the one thing that I said that I will not say to Oasis Baptist Church is we are going to do these things to keep you safe. Because I cannot keep you safe. I can't do it. But as I read this, I couldn't help but stop for a moment and think. This verse says, For when they shall say peace and safety, 
then sudden destruction would come upon them and they shall not escape. And maybe I'm just losing my mind, but it was just one of those things to me as I was reading that. All we hear is about we need to be peaceful and we need to have safety. But in the end, those that don't know Christ, they have no escape. There is no escape for that. There is no safety and there is no peace for them. They will live today in this thought of peacefulness. They will live today in this thought of safety, but yet they will not be safe in the end. There will be no peace in the end. Did you know, and I believe that you do, that in the day of Noah, Noah told and warned the people over and over and over that there was going to be a flood? And they did not adhere. Did you know that all throughout Scripture there was many other times that Lot warned his family that the city would be destroyed, but yet they didn't listen? That Jesus warned that Jerusalem would be destroyed, but yet they didn't listen? There has always been a warning, but yet there will always be those that will not accept and heed to that warning. I would probably be one of those people at times. Hey, Aaron, you probably shouldn't do that. Oh, that's going to be a lot of fun, (laughs) right? We've all done it in our lives. It's probably not too wise to do that. Oh, but man, you know how much fun that's going to (laughs) be? That'll be a blast. And then you get finished, and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I'll never forget. I don't know why I'm sharing this story. When I was in college, and I jumped on trampolines, and I thought it would be good one day. We're in in, uh, Myrtle Beach. We're doing this uh, this show and sharing the gospel through different ministries and I'm on the gymnastics team which I've never done gymnastics in my life but I was on the gymnastics team and so we're jumping off of trampolines and I could jump off the trampoline and jump high and that particular day I thought you know what this is going to be fun and I ran and it was the last performance of the week and I hit the trampoline and as I'm running, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to do two flips. I did two flips. But I promise you, it hurt like nothing I've ever done before and it was not a very intelligent thing to do. I think, and I don't know why I shared that story at all, but I think there's things that we often just do, but this is a little different. This is an eternal punishment. But as we read through this, he continues to go on, but you, brethren, ye, those of the believers, are not in darkness. Ye are the children of light. And the children of the day, we are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. And as we look at this, listen, it says that we are not of the darkness And it says that we are rather of light. It says that uh, while they are asleep, we ought to be awake and be sober in our mind. Paul uses the thought of drunkenness that they would be, or that we would be sober, that we would be clear headed and clear minded, that we ought to be waiting with expectancy. The day is near. We ought not be drunk. We ought to be awake. We ought to be cleaned up and dressed up and ready. And it says for what? The, with the breastplate of faith and love, the helmet of salvation, the hope of our, uh, that the hope on our heads, soberness brings about a calm and a complacency, not fear. I would ask this morning and I would plead this morning and I would say that just as Paul was encouraging and telling the people in this day that I would say to you that we ought to be alert and aware and sober-minded and be prepared and ready because it could happen now. And he's letting them know, hey, you don't have to be afraid of these things, but yet we ought to be prepared for these things. Listen, I'm not afraid for the day that this is over, but I need to be prepared for the day that this is over. There's coming a day where Jesus Christ is coming back, and the world as we know it will not be the same. Are we prepared for it? 
Are you prepared for it? I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. I am prepared and I am living and I'm active and I'm striving and I'm waiting for, longing for His return. Or are we asleep? As it speaks of the drunkenness, the the, the lack of preparation, the having no concern, living in peace and safety, but yet having no hope in the end. This morning, again, I'm not really intending to speak of all of the prophetic endings of the world and all of those things, but as we come through this and as we begin to look at this, there's a lot of people that live in a false paradise, if you will, right here on this earth. A false sense of security to eat, drink, be merry, and do, and live it up, and do whatever they want. We ought to live as believers, secure in Him. We ought to live with this not doing that. (laughs) I don't know what it's doing. Uh, We ought to live. Whether we live or die, we should be together with Him. And as, as we, as we kind of come into this, these last few thoughts in the introduction before I bring into a couple points, one of the things that I think has bothered me as much as anything in the times in which we've lived is it says this. It says in verse number 12, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. And it speaks of them and it speaks of together and it speaks of, it says that the believers ought to know each other. That we ought to know one another, that we ought to care for one another, that we ought to admonish one another, that we ought to esteem, and it speaks of them, it speaks of together. And if there's one thing that concerns me as much as anything today in our society is the the church that is not together. We have to be together. Because it's what God is in, it's what God designed, it's what we have been designed to do that we would, again, it goes into, that we would exhort one another. It speaks of the word brethren, that is, that is a brother, that is a family term, that we would love each other as Christ, that we would be together. And this morning it speaks of all of these things that we would be prepared, and then it speaks of us living brethren, the family of God, laboring together, knowing each other, caring for one another, exhorting one another. Uh, Do we know the ones we're in battle with? Do we love them, to esteem them, to be at peace together with them? Are we warning them those who are unruly? Are we comforting those that are feeble in mind? Listen, the reality is there's some of us that sit in this room that have less faith than others in this room. And that's okay. You know, that's the body of Christ that those with more faith are to encourage and lift up and be there to support and to comfort and to care for. Are we doing those things? Are we lifting up those that are faint of heart? Those that may be prone to quit because they're just a little more feeble in mind than others. Are we supporting the weak? Don't let them fall, but rather be patient and follow uh, and love one another to lift each other up. Together we are called to walk through this. So as we go to kind of the, the heart of this morning, my responsibility I believe, and the reason I kind of walked through all of those things is as we get to verses 16, 17, and 18 this morning, that we would rejoice, that we would pray, and that we would in everything give thanks. So as we get into the thoughts and the points, I guess you will, of the the sermon this morning, I truly believe that as I read through this, that reading backwards and seeing in chapter 4 the hope of the eternal, the, the return of Jesus Christ, looking in chapter 5, the comparing and the contrasting, the darkness and the light, and, and the things that we have and the things that we're excited for, the things that others have no hope for, in all of those things, you and I, we can rejoice, we can 
pray, we can be thankful. Why? Because we are in an understanding, in a reality that this is not all that we have. This is just a temporal place. This is where, uh, yes, God has, has us for this season, this moment in our lives, but this is not eternal for you and I. This is the best that the lost has. This is the worst that we will ever face. Because this is not home for me. If I live an amazing long life, it'll be around 100 years old. I don't know that I want to live to be 100 years old, but if I do, if you live 100, that's a long life, right? Do you know how small 100 years is in the scope of eternity? But yet we, we spend most of our life focused on the 100, never worried about tomorrow, as believers, we ought to have a hope and a joy and an anticipation of what tomorrow is. And when we live in that realm of knowing that this world is just a, the songs, I'm just a passing through. And when we think of that, when we live in that realm and we believe those things and we trust in those things, I can rejoice I can be thankful in everything because the worst thing that can happen to me here is still just work God working and planning and programming and working and molding me to be who I need to be where I'm going to meet with him for all of eternity. It's just but a, a glimmer, a glimpse. And so with that this morning, I did this in the first service. We talked about being together in the body. And so what I would like for us to do, would you grab your Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, and would you stand with me? We're going to read together 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16, 17, and 18. I will be reading out of the King James Version. The, the, the words on the screen are from that as well. If you do not have that, that is fine. But for the sake of all of us reading together... Um, I want everybody to be aware that when they read a different version, that's okay, but it'll be different words. We good? <laughs> All right. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, it says this, together out loud, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Father, we come to you together as a body as brethren, as men and women who are, are followers of you, who are seeking after you. And God, I pray that over these next few minutes, God, that you would speak to us. Lord, these are verses that we've heard. These are verses that we understand. These are verses that we know. But God, would you allow us to see them in the scope of eternity? The hope that we have in you allows us to be so full of joy would drop us to our knees because we see and we depend upon you. And God, it would bring us to a place where we are thankful in all things. Father, we thank you for meeting with us this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you for doing that with me. We haven't done that in a long time. My first thought this morning is this. My responsibility is to rejoice always. My responsibility is to rejoice always. And again, none of this, this is a passage of scripture that we are very familiar with, but I couldn't, uh, as I was going through it and studying, I couldn't help but obviously go backwards and read and kind of keep moving forward, looking at the context of what are we talking about? Rejoice evermore. What is this pray without ceasing? What does it mean to in everything give thanks? Well, when you look backwards and you see the hope that, that Paul was, was giving and reminding them of, I think it's only natural that we would be a, a people that is full of joy. It is our responsibility uh, that we would uh, know one another, that we would call out wrongdoing as we just read and as we looked at, that we would also, uh, that we would rejoice with those. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse number 10, the latter end of verse number 10 says this, For this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Be joyful. Rejoice always, to me, is probably one of the hardest things to grasp our minds around. 
I can be joy. When I think of joy, I think of, I think of a lot of things. I don't think of death. I don't think of cancer. I don't think of uh, families moving out of town that are close to us. We don't think of all of those things. When I think of joy, I think of a lot of celebration. I think of sports, or we think of a, a birthday, or an anniversary, or something where we get together and we, we celebrate the goodness of whatever that thing is. But God's Word says it, and this isn't the only time that it says it, but that we would rejoice always, that we should always rejoice. In all situations, we can have joy. Psalms chapter 2 and verse 11 says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Habakkuk chapter number 3 and verses 17 and, eight says, uh, 17 and 18 says, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And listen to this. I will joy in the God of my salvation. What is the joy that we have? See, the joy that we have as a believer is not because, again, we say this all the time, it's not because we have a home, it's not because we have a car, it's not because of all the things that we have. It is because we can have joy in the salvation that God has given. We started this series off being thankful for our salvation, thankful that God loved you so much that he gave grace to you. Something that you don't deserve, something that you can't earn, but yet God gave it to you. He gave grace and he's given mercy. I can joy and I can be thankful in my salvation. Why? What does it say? Because I will joy in the God of my salvation. Listen, I will have tears at the passing of a loved one. I will have tears over the, the unknown of, of the word cancer that may come into the home or, or the things that go around or the loss of a job or whatever the bad things are. We can have, we can have a, a concern in, in all of those things, but God's word says that we would have joy in the depths of our soul, not because of the things that we have, but because of who he is dwelling in us. I can have joy in my salvation. Romans 15, 13, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. The God of hope would fill you with joy and peace. And it says this, in believing. You know, I've said this many times. I truly believe inside of the church today and it's probably been for all times the bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of god i think sometimes we lack joy because we lack faith because we don't know god's word because it speaks of this what does it say the hope god the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing believing well, the belief is a, it's a thing of faith. It's a thing, it's an action of taking something that I, I, I see and I, I know this way, but I now have acted out in faith in my life. I believe. Sometimes we can't have joy as believers because we don't know his word to practice the faith and it, how it, ties together second corinthians speaks of sorrow yet always rejoicing this only happens in biblical joy from the lord it says in romans 15 through the power of the holy ghost him living the spirit holy spirit living and dwelling in us giving us the power giving us the strength that in the hardest of times we can cry out to him in the hardest of times we can still have joy not because of the circumstance in the circumstance we would mourn and we would cry and we would hurt but the joy that comes because of the no the knowing him as our lord and savior if the lord is 
truly our strength and shield, and we trust him, we can exalt and enjoy the joy of the Lord. Our joy must not come in our present circumstance, but it must come as we know and joy in our salvation, as we worship him in the midst of every circumstance, I can have joy. See, when I'm concerned most about glorifying God over everything else, I can have joy. The responsibility, the first thought there is that our responsibility is to rejoice always. The second one is this. It's my responsibility to pray continually. As we are reminded of the eternal hope of the future, his eminent return, as we looked at uh, in the introduction, that hope that we have knowing that he is going to return and take us home. I don't know where you're at this morning, but I I, I can state this um, personally. The older that I get, the more that I long to go home. There's just something there. I guess I could even put that in, our, in, the, in a, a physical realm here on this earth. The older that I get, the more that I desire and long to be home in my parents' home, if that makes sense. There's a different level of respect going home to my parents' home today than when I was 20 or when I was 15. I respected my mom and dad. But today at 40, having my own children, I now look at them and I go, wow, how did they do it? Or you go, did I do that as a kid? Right? Probably. Probably not. Do you know what my kids do? You have no idea. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But when we... The older that I get, the more I have a long a respect and an admiration for the home of my parents. You know, that much more, the more that I have a longing, eternally speaking, to go home. There used to be a time where I'm like, ah, oh, you know what, I, I just, I want to see my kids grow up. I want to see them get married. I want to have grandkids. Now I'm like, that would all be cool, but I, I'm, I, I think I'm ready. God, you can come home. You can come back anytime. Lord, you can return. I think some of that is a maturity of, spiritually speaking, but some of that is just, it's a, it's a heart, it's seeing life, it's all of these other things. But as we look at this, having a responsibility to pray continually, I think one of the things that the older that we get, we ought to have a greater understanding of our dependence on Him. Prayer is really simple in that it's me saying, God, I need you. I can't do it. I'm dependent upon you. We don't like to do that. We don't like to say that we're dependent on anybody. The the strong-willed child in our house is what? Independent. They do not need you. They can do it on their own. And so they see the door, but they're like, no, I can run through the wall and make my own door. Do y'all have one of those in your home or had one? <laughs> you are that? Um, but there's, a, there's what? There, we are independent. I don't need to depend on anything. I can do it myself. We are all in that. But when we bow our knees to God and we say, God, I need you. I am dependent upon you. Our praying without ceasing is us looking back and seeing the eternal hope and seeing the God's going to return and seeing the power of who God is. And God, I need to depend upon you. Therefore, I have to nonstop beg you for the help of my day. And it's deeper than just praying at dinner time or praying before we go to bed. It's deeper than those things. It is genuinely, are we seeking God and letting him know how dependent that we are on him? He just wants us to come to him. The greatest joy that I have as a father, maybe not the greatest, but one of the greatest joys I have as a father is when my my children come to me and say, Dad, can you help me? Can you do this for me? They're dependent on somebody that's older because they can't do it on their own. And there's something just special about being able to help them 
take that next step. All God wants, all our Heavenly Father wants is for us to say, Dad, I need you. I'm dependent upon you. Praying without ceasing is you and I saying, Dad, we're dependent. I am dependent upon you. The early church demonstrated prayer consistently and constantly. Paul was always praying, expressing his prayer for others and praying to God. Jesus himself was constantly in a state of prayer. (laughs) They're excited too. Jesus was in a state of prayer always. How many times do we read where Jesus left the others to go on his own to go pray? He was dependent upon his father. I wonder if we're dependent enough. Do we show the Lord our desperation? Do we desire to fellowship with him? The word in the psalm says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. Are we longing? Do we desire? Do we seek him for wisdom in the midst of this hurting world? Are we seeking his deliverance from trouble Do we seek Him for relief of fear and worry? Are we expressing our thankfulness to Him? Do we pray for spiritual growth? God, would you show me? God, would you teach me? God, how can I lead my children? God, how can I help my grandchildren? God, would you show me? Because I can't do it on my own. God, I don't know how to interact at work with this situation. God, I don't know how to make this decision today. But God, would you show me? God, I'm dependent on you. Will you help me? It's our last resort as opposed to our first. At least oftentimes it is for me. It's all caved in. Now I'll pray. He says pray without ceasing. Would we be dependent upon him? And lastly, my responsibility is to give thanks. Again, very similar to the joy statement at the beginning. It's difficult to give thanks and everything. How do I give thanks when the passing of a loved one? How do I give thanks with the word cancer? How do I give thanks when this happens or that happens? How do I give thanks when the loss of a job? How do I give thanks when I can't pay my bills? How am I supposed to do that? How can I give thanks in all of those things? But yet God's word says in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. His will for our lives is that we would give thanks to him. How? I think as I read through this passage of Scripture and I look back at chapter number 4 and I read that if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, God will bring with Him. For the Lord shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. I look at these things, and we will meet with him, and we will forever be with the Lord. And I think I can be thankful in that. In every circumstance, I can, I can be thankful knowing what the hope of tomorrow is, knowing what my future is, not that this is my world. This, this world is nothing. We don't have a future in this world. I have a future hope in glory with God Almighty where I will forever worship and bow at His feet for the rest of eternity. That's a, that's a future. That's a hope worth getting excited about. When things happen on this earth and I begin to look forward and I begin to think of some of those things, God, I trust you. God, I believe that you're sovereign. God, I'm dependent upon you. And God, in that and because of that, I know that what's taking place today is only furthering me to make me better so that when I stand before you, you will complete me and I will be the man that you desire for me to be. I can be thankful about that because today is only pointing towards tomorrow. There's a hope that I have beyond this life. Psalm 136, 
Verses 1 through 3, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. His mercy endureth forever. O give thanks unto the God of gods, for His mercy endureth forever. O give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His mercy endureth forever. Ephesians chapter 5 and 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3 and 17, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, what? Giving thanks to God and the Father by him Hebrews 13:15 By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name I I really don't know that there's a lot more that I can say in regards to some of these things but do I give thanks always in all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God and the Father by Him, are the fruit of my lips giving thanks to Him. This morning I couldn't help but look back at these passages of Scripture. I couldn't help but look at this and See in chapter 3 the peace and the safety and then sudden destruction would come upon them and they will have no escape. And I couldn't help but stop and think about that and that we live in a day where we're talking about peace and we're always trying to gain peace and gain peace and gain peace and we're always trying to keep more safe and stay out of this war and stay out of that war and do all these things so that we can have this global peace and that we can have this peace and this peace that's a false sense of peace that has nothing to do with the one day where God is going to come back and the return and there's going to be no answer. And to stop and to think, I have peace, not because there's global peace. I am safe, not because the government keeps me safe. I am safe, not because my house is secure enough. I am, pe- I am at peace, not because of all the things that our world tells us to be at peace at but I'm at peace and I can have thanks and I can have a hope and I can be secure and I can do all of those things because of who I know holds my future because I know that I am in the palm of his hand and he guides and he directs and he keeps me safe and he keeps me secure and he gives me peace and he gives me joy therefore I can rejoice therefore I can depend upon him and pray without ceasing and when all the mess of the world happens in front of us, I can stop and say, God, I may not understand it, but I can say thank you because I thank you for my salvation and I have hope in you, not today, but in the future and in the hope in him. We thank God, it said, what did it say? For my salvation and all of these things, though it all goes a mess, I can thank God for my salvation. This morning, I would ask, It's easy to be thankful when everything's good. The bills are paid. The house got bigger. The car got better. Everything is good. It's easy to say thank you. But at the heart of thanks is not all of those things. And this morning, as we conclude... I would ask you the question. One is, do you believe that Jesus Christ will return? The second question is, are you prepared for his returning? Because I can't help but think in a room this size that there may be somebody that just doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And you're being warned and you've heard the word and you've, you've been warned that there is coming a day where there will be judgment. And we go, well, it's, it'll be okay. It'll be all right. And Jesus just saying, hey, come. Come unto me. Come. I just want to, I want to, I want to offer you the hope and the joy. I want to offer you salvation. 
You don't need to feel like that. You don't need to think that you're worthless and you don't need to think that you're, you're nobody and you don't need to think that nobody cares for you and you don't, you don't need to think those things because I, I love you. And many will say, mm, not today. Are you prepared for his return? Maybe this morning as a believer, you would say, I'm, I know that he's coming. I have no doubt in my mind that I, I know that Jesus is coming back. I have no doubt in my mind that I am a follower of his, that I am a believer. But I'm not living a life in anticipation of him. And maybe there's some uh, personal repentance of just saying, God, I, I'm I'm not living this way and I'm not sharing it and I'm not thankful and I'm not having, I don't have joy in my life and I'm not praying and I'm not dependent upon you. Maybe today, for some, maybe today would be that of salvation where you'd say, God, I, I've heard that you're coming. I believe that there is the end. I don't maybe fully understand it. But I want to know you. I want to make right and be prepared. And maybe as a believer, you would just simply say, God, I, I know you, but I'm not living in a manner of preparation. I'm not anticipating. As a matter of fact, if you came back right now, I'd be a little bit scared because my life is not anything showing that of godliness. And I want to seek you. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Again, maybe as we go into a time of invitation, the desire that I have each week is just to slow it down that you can respond to him. That you would cry out and as God spoke to you through his word, that you would answer him. Maybe it's a commitment that needs to be made. Maybe it is a salvation decision that needs to be made. Maybe it's reaching to somebody beside you to, to pour your heart out. I don't know. But I'm afraid sometimes in our time of invitation, we just... We wrap up because I've closed my Bible and it's just about time to go and eat. We don't respond to him. Listen, church, I'm not here to try to scare anybody, to f bring any fear about. That's not the intention, but we don't know what tomorrow holds. I'm pleading with you, looking in the mirror myself, am I prepared, am I sharing, am I offering the hope of eternity to those that are around me, and what are we doing with it? The question is being asked all around us, so what are we as a body, what are we as believers doing with it? Do we have an answer? Are we giving an answer? Are we just trying to be quiet and come to church on Sunday? Father, I come to you this morning, and Lord, I am thankful for the opportunity to gather. Lord, I pray that we as a body, that we would respond, that we would speak back to you. God, that if you tugged upon our hearts, that we would not allow that to just sit idle, but God, we would do something about it. Father, if there's somebody that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior and they sit right here in front of us or maybe they, they watched online, they do not know you as Savior, God, would you not allow them to sleep and would you keep them restless until they finally just say, God, yes, here I am. The same for those of us that know you. Would you keep us restless until we respond to you? until we're obedient to what you've called for us to do. Maybe it's somebody that we're supposed to talk to. Maybe it's just something that we're doing in our home that we need to stop 
Maybe it's actions that we are taking personally. I don't know, but God, would you not allow us to rest? But would you just cause a restlessness about us that we would have to seek you and depend upon you? Father, we thank you. Would you just sit where you're at this morning and just respond to him? Again, as always, the altar is open, the coming down to the front, or maybe it's just right where you're at. But would you respond to the Lord this morning? the song being played would you join with me on the chorus what a day that will be what a obedient to your call that we would do the things that you've asked for us that you've called us to do that we would be uh, that we would honor you with our lives father we thank you for gathering with us today and speaking to our hearts in jesus name amen